0: Today we'll be going through the book of Acts chapter 3. So, But before we delve into that, we'll just do a very short um, recap, just to see what we've covered so far. So in Acts chapter 1, Pastor Kibet and Mutiga, they took us through parts of Acts chapter 1. So and it's interesting, a reminder is that uh, this book, it's not so much about the acts of the apostles, but it is actually about the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in his body, which is the church. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the ones who are even more prominent in this particular book. So in Acts chapter one, we saw um, Jesus ascension into heaven and then Matthias being chosen to replace Judas among the group of 12. And then we went into Acts chapter two and this was all about Pentecost where Jesus had commanded his followers not to leave Jerusalem uh, but to wait until they had been filled with the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a violent wind and what seemed like tongues of fire rested on each one of them. And they began to speak in tongues, drawing the attention of the pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem because of the Passover. uh, Peter preaches his first sermon and 3000 people are saved. Now that is what we call exponential church growth. And so uh, last week, Titus, Pastor Titus took us through, now what did this new community of believers look like? And we read this from Acts chapter 2, from verse 42 to 47, and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It is important to remember just how key Acts chapter 2 is. If someone was to remove Acts chapter two from the Bible so that you are reading Acts chapter one and then you move straight to Acts chapter three, you'd feel that there is a major gap, that there is something that must have happened, something significant that must have happened in between to explain number one, the boldness of the apostles in declaring Jesus. And then number two, the rapid growth of the church, not only numerically, but also in its influence. So something you'd have to investigate a bit further to see what really happened to cause this, uh, this dramatic shift. And that is the Holy Spirit. It is the coming of the Holy Spirit, him filling the apostles, filling the other 120. So that the Holy Spirit is a person who made this change, this shift possible. And it is the same today. If we desire to, to experience a powerful move of God in our lives, individually, in our families, as a congregation, even as a nation, then this cannot happen if the Holy Spirit is not at the center of it all. If we, we dare just to continue without have, depending on him and his power, it will just be finding a man-made fire that will that will quickly die out. And I'm sure that we have seen ministers and ministries that have at one point seemed so vibrant, but just suddenly faded away. We need to ask ourselves, was the Holy Spirit part of that ministry, part of that minister's work, or was that just human effort? Because if you read, I think it was Matthew 24, 25, some will come to Jesus on that day of judgment and they will say, did we not preach? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy? And he will say, Apart, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So the Holy Spirit is key in the growth of the church, in the birthing of the church. So we cannot, uh, cannot downplay the important part of Acts chapter 2. So right now we'll go to Acts chapter 3. Uh, to help us in today's reading is uh, the one and only teacher, Lee, from our e-group, Johari. So Lee... Uh, karibu Sana to take us through Acts chapter three from verse
1: one to 26. Santi Sana, um, MJ. So we're reading from Acts chapter three. Um, okay, let's look All right, so Acts chapter three, I'm reading from the new international version. Uh, Peter Hill's a lame beggar. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And this was at around three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John come about to enter, he asked them for some money, as it was his custom to do. So Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I dare say, stand up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple court and boy was he not silent. He walked and jumped and praised the Almighty God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Oh, it was a beautiful day for them. Now, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. Coming from right, from the right to the left, they came running to them in the place called Sol- Solomon's Column. Now, when Peter saw this, he said to them, guys, fellow Israelites, chill. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? (laughs) Guys, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of your father, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy One. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. Guys, you killed the author of life but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. I tell you, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who stands before you, whom you see and know was made strong. It is by Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. It's not us. It's in the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but you know what? This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying, and listen carefully, saying that his Messiah would suffer Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and turn to God, guys, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long, long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you, a prophet like me, from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Listen. Anyone who does not listen, and this is not a joke, anyone who does not listen to him will be. Cut off from their people. Cut off. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, and I know most of you know this, He said to Abraham, through your offsprings, all, not some, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Acts chapter three, verse one
0: to 26. Thank you so, so much, uh, uh, Lee. Um, by the way, that is how we nom- how Lee normally reads the Bible to us in our, in our e-group. So the scripture comes alive and we are blessed that you're serving in the Sunday school ministry, that our children may also experience a scripture coming to life in, the, in their classes. So we saw in Acts chapter 2 um, how the church devoted themselves to prayer and continue to, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. And here we get a glimpse of Peter and John doing the same. So I think sometimes, we, even before we started reading the book of Acts, I used to think now they even stopped meeting in the, in the temple as frequent and they started meeting in, the, in their homes for prayer. But they were doing both. So they still went to the temple every day. And we are told that it is three in the afternoon. Please remember, Peter and John are two of the heads of the church, very prominent heads of the the church then. And they still devoted themselves to that discipline. They didn't take up a celebrity mentality and say, oh, now we are the big shots. Uh, This thing of going to the temple every day, it's not for us. They still continued with the daily discipline of going to the temple. It was three in the afternoon also called the ninth hour. So here, it's good to remember just how the Jewish uh, hours were. Their day started at around 6 a.m. daylight and ended at around 6 p.m. The first hour was 6 a.m. And at that time, they used to have their morning prayers. Then the third hour was around 9 a.m. There they would have their mid-morning prayers. The sixth hour was around 12 noon, and there they would have their midday prayers. And then the ninth hour was 3 p.m., around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. There they would have the evening sacrifice and the prayers. First of all, the evening sacrifice would start at around 2.30 and end just before 3 p.m. Then the prayers would start. And what used to happen when they would meet for these prayers? It's around one hour of prayer. So the first 15 minutes was a time of silent meditation when they would think of the greatness, the glory and the goodness of God. That was their first, the first 15 minutes of that prayer time. Then the next 30 minutes would be a time for them to offer their petitions, their requests to God. Let God, these are our needs. This is what we are trusting in you for. And then the last 15 minutes was a time of worship. So here, they would read some of the Psalms of worship. They would sing songs. So that was just time to lift up God's name, either in reading of Psalms or also singing of songs. So that is how their prayer time was structured. And they continued to do this every single day and realize that for the, not for the Christians, not the, the church there, the, these prayers took on a new kind of dimension. Maybe before they were doing it just to fulfill the law, but right now they are doing it, understanding that their sins have been paid for. They are now a new creation. The word tells us in 2 Corinthians, whoever believes in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So this prayer time was no longer the same for them. It was richer, it was sweeter, it was powerful. So realize that right now, they're going, they are not going to the temple before, uh, during the time of the, of the evening sacrifice, second at two, around 2.30, but they're going at around 3 p.m. If you ask ourselves, what's it, what other significant event took place at 3 p.m. in the afternoon? If you can turn to Matthew 27, verses 45 to 50, this is what it says, from noon, we saw, we saw that noon was, the sixth hour from noon uh, from noon until 3 in the afternoon darkness came over the land about 3 in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice eli Eli, lama sabachthani which means my god my god why have you forsaken me when some of those standing there heard this they said he's calling elijah immediately one of them ran and got a sponge he filled it with wine and vinegar put it on a staff and offered it to jesus to drink the rest said Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Realize that was at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Do you see where the time when the evening sacrifice used to end around 3 p.m. in the afternoon is the same time that Jesus gave up his spirit, the same time that he died. And he said, it is finished. So do you see how Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice? He was the the perfect Passover lamb to wash away our sins. Peter would remind in his writing, would remind that uh the, his readers that it is not by the blood of bulls and rams that you have been saved, and not by things like silver, perishable things, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So when they when they when Peter and John are going to the temple, they're not going there for the sacrifices because they know there's no more sacrifice that needs to be offered for the, for the covering of sin. Jesus has paid that once and for all sacrifice. If you read um, Hebrews 10, 11 to 14, um, it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again. And again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and said, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This, when he's talking about this priest, he's talking about Jesus. He has offered that one one. Time sacrifice that will save everyone. There's a song that I love. Um, it's called The Old Fashioned Way. For me, I love old songs. And this is what it says They call me old fashioned because I believe that the Bible is God's holy word, that Jesus, who lived among le- men long ago, is divine and the Son of God. They call me old fashioned because I believe and accept. Only what has been spoken from heaven, old fashioned because at the cross I was saved, at the cross my sins forgiven. My sin was old fashioned. My guilt was old fashioned. God's love was old fashioned, I know. And the way I was saved was the old fashioned way through the blood that makes whiter than snow. So there is, even today, it's the blood of Jesus that saved us 2,000 years ago, and that hasn't changed at all today. That same old-fashioned way, the blood that makes us whiter than snow. So encourage us, in your own free time, go, go and read Hebrews uh, chapter 9 to 11, up until 10 to 18. See the significance of the sacrifice that Jesus has paid on the, for us on the cross. Read about the blood of Jesus. It will give you a much better understanding. But even as you, today as I was just reading again these portions of scripture, it was shocking for me to see that's how long Jesus was on the cross. Like what, I think it was Grace um, who wrote on the chat box that the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us was a huge, it was a big price that was paid If you read carefully, you'll see that it was the third hour when they crucified him. That was 9 a.m. And it was the sixth hour noon when the darkness came. That was uh, noon. And then Jesus died on the ninth hour. That was at 3 p.m. So imagine from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. That is six hours. He lay, rather he hung on that cross. Naked, despised forsaken by his friends. Grace is a free gift to us, but it was by no means cheap. Look at the price that Jesus paid for you. Imagine what you can do in six hours. It was by no means a cheap sacrifice. So we see here in Acts chapter three, the story as one would put it, of a man who begged for arms, but got got legs. I'm just a pun there. The, this beggar is a picture of us when we were still in sin because of the fall of man. Imagine if he was, it was if even let's say he was from the tribe of Levi, he was a Levite, uh, the chosen tribe to serve in the temple as priests. He, would not, he was not permitted to go into the temple. So that's why you find him at, at, uh, at, the tem- at the temple gate, that gate called Beautiful. And when they, when Peter and John come across him, perhaps they may have seen him there many times before, because they used to come into the temple. Jesus, we see him several times teaching in the temple, in the synagogues. Um, you see, you saw him overturning uh, the tables for those who were selling their wares in the temple. So Jesus was not a stranger to the temple. So have Peter and John, but at this particular day, they noticed him. They noticed him. They, you can see what what it says, um, this is in, this was in verse three, where they say, when he, he saw Peter and John about to enter, I asked him for money. Peter looked straight at him and so did John. They looked straight at him. They knew something was happening. And sometimes that is how, that is how God works. Maybe you have come across people time and time and again, People in need that we have seen over and over again. But at one point in time, God will deliberately stop us so that we can pay more attention to these particular people. And I pray that God will show us the exact time when he wants us to, to be available, to be used by him. In situations where we have, they're not familiar to things are familiar to us, not new things, but familiar things to us. But he wants to act. I want us to see what kind of people Peter and John were, even in their time of action. These were men, number one, they were men of preparation. They were prepared themselves for action in prayer. You see, they're now going to to the temple to pray. It was their custom to pray. And when God stirs up their spirits, now it's your time to act, they are ready. They are ready. If you go and read Mark chapter nine, there was a boy who was demon possessed and the disciples were not able to cast out the demon. And Jesus told them, these are those that only come out through prayer and fasting. At that point in time, if you have not been preparing in prayer, then you'll not be able to, to perform the miracle. So they were men of preparation, especially in prayer. Number two, they were men of impartation and sensitivity. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And right now, they discern that this is a time for us to act. Number three, they were men of authorization. Here they sensed that God was giving them the green light. God was doing something. And they acted on the authority that Jesus, through his spirit, had given them to perform the miracle. Number four, they were men of flexibility. Here they were. They were heading into the temple. They were fixed. They were. They were. They were focused. This is a time of prayer. Let's go there, meet our brothers and sisters, and pray. But what happens? Their schedule is interrupted. And God wants to do something through them. You don't see them at. Oh no, they don't tell the beggar. We, right now we are going into the temple to pray, so uh, let us go. But what do they do instead? They They focus more on what God would want them to do at that point. They don't just stick to their plans. And if you look at the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus was full of interruptions. Actually, many of the miracles that are recorded in scripture, you will see that either Jesus was teaching and all of a sudden guys remove the roof. John, I think it's John chapter two. Guys remove the roof uh, from where Jesus was teaching. They lower someone down. They interrupt someone and someone gets healed. Jesus was on his way walking, and the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment. And lo, Jesus stops and says, some power has flown out of me. So Jesus was was ready to be interrupted. I don't believe he woke up with a plan saying, today I want to heal so-and-so, want to heal so-and-so, but we see this happening organically. May that be the same for us, that we may be people who are willing to be interrupted so that God might do what he wants to do through us. As we continue, you see Peter and John, they looked at him and they said, see for God, I do not have, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, they helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. We see God's power out to work so miraculously in Peter and John. They, and they declare, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. It wasn't in the name of Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus. No, they knew. And you'll see Peter declaring in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven and earth by which men must be saved. So they declare the name of of Jesus. And this beggar jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking j- and jumping and praising God. See, once he has been healed, Peter and John take him by the hand and bring him to the temple. What would happen either after you have ministered, you have evangelized to someone, you've seen someone getting healed, someone being delivered from a demon possession? What do you do? You take them by the hand, bring them to the fellowship of believers, bring them to church, don't leave them there, bring them to church. And what does this person do? He's, he's walking, he's jumping, and he is praising God. He could not hide his excitement. How more should we who have been delivered, not just physically, but whose souls have been brought from the kingdom of darkness and into the, his miraculous light, the light of Jesus. It's not, we don't, our reaction should not be, <speaking in Spanish> we should go in praising God, leaping and jumping for joy. So this person did not hide his joy. When all the people saw him, look at the reaction of the people. When they, when they saw him walking and praising God, verse 9, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. In our day and age, we are very skeptical about miracles. If someone comes and says, I was sick with cancer, now I am healed, you'll be like, oh, you just wait. It will come back. That was not cancer. That test was inaccurate. If someone comes and says, oh, I have been praying for a job, And after three years, God opened up the job for me. Sometimes we are quick to say, perhaps he had given a bribe. He must know someone in that ministry for him to get that job. Or we'll ask and say, why is he showing off that God has blessed him with a car? But let's look at the reaction of the people. They were amazed. They were filled with wonder at what had happened to him. Let us be more open to miracles, even now. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forevermore, he has not changed. So the same Jesus who healed this man is still at work even today. Let's move on, verse 11 to 16. We see, while the beggar held on to Peter, he's still hanging on to them, and all the people astonished and they came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw them, he said, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness, we have made this man walk? Two questions there. Peter says, sorry, excuse me. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And in essence, he's telling them, you as the people of Israel, have you, do you, have you forgotten the miracles of God in the desert? Have you forgotten how God worked miraculously through the prophets? And more recently, have you forgotten the miracles that you saw through this Jesus? Have you forgotten the powerful God of Israel, Yahweh, El Shaddai, Jehovah Rapha, El Roy? Have you forgotten? So you have seen God at work throughout our history as Israel. So why does this surprise you when you see God at work? This is, in essence, what Peter is asking them. Then the second question is that, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Peter is very quick not to take any glory for themselves. He says, it is not by our own power. And he continues and says, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. And you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You, had, you decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and that's that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but he has raised, God has raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of the, this. And he says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man you see now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given complete healing, as you can all see. Peter does not take any glory for himself, he doesn't. But what do we see sometimes nowadays? Once someone is healed, you take him and you, you begin doing like a concert, like a tour look at the man that i healed notice i healed come see my banner mj ministry healing or healing ministry is it is that not what we see nowadays but peter is quick to say it is faith in the name of jesus that has made this man strong that this man has been healed amen second peter 1:3 we are reminded His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So you see, it is not our own godliness, it is by His goodness He has given us grace for living a godly life. Ephesians 3 20 to 21 reminds us now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. To him be the glory, not to us, not to us, but to his name be the glory. But you see, as Peter is telling these people, and telling them, you're the one who handed him over to be killed. You disown the holy and righteous one that murderer, Barabbas, was released to you. You denied the author of life. But what does Peter emphasize? He is, God has raised him from the dead, verse 15, and we are witnesses of this. That is very, very key. God has raised him from the dead. Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, 12 to 19, Uh, I'll only read until uh, verse 14. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. My preaching right now would be useless if Jesus was not alive. Our preaching would be useless and so would be your faith. And Peter emphasizes and he says, God has raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. This is a fact. We have seen him. As John would write in John chapter one, we have seen his glory, the one and only son. So it is very key. Especially this Easter morning, we remember Jesus has been risen from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Here we see Peter and John showing us humility in ministry as we evangelize, as we minister out there. Paul instructs the Colossians, Colossians 3.12, and he tells them, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Peter acknowledges that even the faith in him that allowed God's healing to flow to the beggar actually came from Jesus, not Peter. Even the faith, even the faith came from Jesus. It came from Jesus. Sometimes we can we are quick to... Um, people have been brought down and you ask why why am i not healed and someone will tell you no it's because you don't have enough faith you need to master faith so that you can be healed no peter acknowledges that even the faith that allowed this healing to happen even that came from jesus sometimes we are quick to read philippians 1:16 work out your faith in fear and trembling, and we stop there. But you forget how that verse continues. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So it is God's work in you that he's, he empowers you to do according to his will. It is not something that you can master up by yourself. The faith comes from Jesus. We cannot do it by our own selves. Jesus tells us, he is the vine, we are the branches. A branch cannot grow on its own. It needs to draw the nutrients from the vine. So it is with faith. You, do, you rely on Jesus to give you even that faith to work a miracle. Amen. Paul would tell the Corinthians once more in 1 Corinthians 4, Verse six, now brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, that you may learn from us the meaning of the same, not to go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up by in being a follower of one over us, over, against the other. Notice verse seven, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, Why do you boast as though you did not? So it was like some of the Corinthians were boasting, or probably I have more faith, I have no knowledge. And Paul is telling them, that which you want to boast about, you received it. Why do you want to boast as if you did not receive it? You know, sometimes you don't want to, to accept that, accept gifts, you want to earn something. And Paul is reminding us, as he did the Corinthians, What we have, it's only because we have received it. We have received it. Peter is very quick to acknowledge even faith that we have has come from Jesus. And it's the same thing with our gifts, with our knowledge. It is not from us. It is from God. Everything we have, we have only received. Peter does not take any glory. Isaiah 42 verse 8 God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Amen. And we continue, verse 17. We see how Peter says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Peter wins them over very tactfully. You can imagine how these people are feeling when Peter is saying, you are the ones who handed him over to Pilate. You are the ones who killed the author of life. You, you, you. Peter, these people must have been feeling very guilty at this point. But Peter calls them, brothers, brothers. I'm one of you, brothers. And that is very key when you're evangelizing, reaching out to people. When you go reach out to someone, Call them a brother. Call them a sister. Treat them as that. Love on them genuinely. In that way, you will be winning them over slowly. So he calls them brothers. And he told them, you acted in ignorance. And Jesus on the cross, remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They don't know what they are doing. So they acted in ignorance. But this is how God fulfilled what had been foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. The fact that Jesus died on the cross was not a surprise to God. It was part of his divine plan. It wasn't a surprise. So the uh, prophecy was being fulfilled through his death on the cross. Repent then, turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Peter tells them that they need to repent. Repent means changing direction, changing your mind. It's imagine if you're headed in this direction. Repent literally means going in this other direction. There are two things that repent is repentance is not. Repentance is not remorse. It's not, oh man, I feel so bad about what I did. Oh, I feel so sad. It is one aspect of repentance, but it is not repentance. Repenting is not regret, feeling bad that you got caught. I'm like, oh my, now I went, I still have been found out. Oh, now do I do? That is not repentance. Repentance may not have emotions at all. Sometimes we feel that we have to be, we have to feel, oh, I feel this bad and all that. Then now, oh, let me go back. If I'm not feeling this emotion, then that is not true repentance. Again, emotion is part of repentance. Paul would write and tell us, godly sorrow leads us to repentance. But repentance is changing your mind, changing direction, changing your mind about this Jesus. If you have not believed in him, then you believe in him and you stop living in sinful ways and you live in godliness. So that is what Peter was telling them. You need to repent, make up your mind, about this Jesus. It is a decision. It is a decision. Not just remorse, not just regret, but making your mind. Not just emotions, make up your mind. That is what Jesus, no Peter is telling them. And he's telling them that times of refreshing may come to you. These times of refreshing were what the Israelites, he was speaking to them both nationally, but individually. And if you want to read more on this, you can go read Deuteronomy chapter 30, you can go read Joel chapter two, you can go read Zechariah chapter 12. And this was, they speak more about what will happen these times of refreshing coming when Jesus comes back in the future. Remember I studied in Revelation, when he comes back to establish his millennial kingdom here on earth, that the lion would lie down with the lamb when every man would plant and abide in their own vines, abundance. When men would study war no more, a time of peace. So he's talking about times of refreshing, coming back, that will come when Jesus comes to establish his millennial kingdom here on earth. But also, he's talking about times of refreshing for you as an individual. When you come to Christ in the faith, knowing that your sins have been washed away, it is refreshing when you hunger, thirst for righteousness, and you are filled, that is refreshing. Those are the times of refreshing he's talking about as an individual when you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 21, he must remain in heaven until the times for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will rise Raise up for you a prophet uh, like me from among your own people. He must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. The restitution of all things, restoration of all things. This is, he's talking again about, remember when um, we saw in Revelation chapter 20, the new Jerusalem coming down and a new heaven and a new earth when God does away with this fallen world and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Notice, many people preach that the restitution of all things means that everyone will be saved, including the devil and demons. That is wrong. That is false doctrine. This is not so. Otherwise, Matthew 25, what Jesus taught would be a lie. Jesus would tell, when he's, if you read Matthew 25, he says he'll separate the, the sheep from the goats and the goats will be departed, thrown away to everlasting fire. Everlasting, this word everlasting is the same word that is used in John 3, 16 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he tells him, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life the same word so you can read more about this read more about this and so he's talking about restoration also about Israel coming to repentance you know right now when if you read Romans chapter 9 it talks about Israel being restored right now it's as if Israel is being covered by a veil that they cannot see the glory of Jesus but a time will come During the great tribulation, seven years between the rapture of the church and Jesus coming to set up his millennial kingdom here on earth, there's a time that will come when Israel will come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Go and read Romans chapter 9. So this is also part of the restoration that Peter is talking about here. This is something that we cannot cover, and I know like our time is is spent but i encourage you please go and read go and study about what it means the restitution of all things the restoration of all things see what how scripture how prophecy will be fulfilled through jesus and as you read these things it is important to note as as peter continues then we we summarize indeed verse 24 Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised us, when God raised up his servant, talking about Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. What is happening right now, as Peter is speaking, is a fulfillment of Scripture. All the nations are being blessed. The disciples have spoken in tongues, and people from all over are saying, "How is it that we can hear them talking about God in our own languages? How is it God's uh, promise is coming to pass?" Then people, the, the offspring of all peoples on earth are being blessed. They are hearing about. Salvation. They're hearing about Jesus. They're hearing about eternal life. Peter is telling them what the prophets have spoken about from Samuel all the way up until John the Baptist is is coming to pass right before our very eyes. I want us to notice something as Peter is speaking. Peter is very excellent in handling the scriptures Peter refers to the scriptures and the prophets, and notice at this point in time, they didn't have the New Testament, it had not been written, so their scriptures they were referring to the Old Testament, to the Torah, to the Psalms, to the prophets. And this is one key thing for us, if we want to be used by God in a mighty way, we need to be students of the scriptures, we need to study the Bible. Paul will tell Timothy, continue what you have learned as have been evidenced of because you know from those you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures is God breath, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Study the scriptures. And you're not doing it as a matter of legality. You want to learn them. You want to be enriched by them. In it, you want to know God more. You need to be a student of the scriptures. Study them. Study the scriptures diligently. And Peter finishes verse 26 by saying, he blessed you by turning you from your wicked ways. Even greater than the miracle of seeing the crippled beggar walk is the one of seeing a soul getting saved. That is greater than anything. Psalm 32, 1-2 to two tells us, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So Peter is telling them, you have been... You're, your, the blessing, that the ultimate blessing is you being turned away from your wicked ways. Remember, repentance, heading like this in your wicked ways. No, this is before. Repentance, turning back from your wicked ways. Faith in Jesus. That is the biggest blessing by far. When it is all said and, said and done, are people getting saved? Apart from just seeing miracles, are people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. May God help us to be open to the interruptions that will bring about the expansion of his kingdom. If Peter and John had not discerned what God wanted to do not only to the beggar but to the crowds as well, then there would there are many who may not have gotten a chance to hear about salvation that comes through faith in the name of Jesus. So let's go, let's reach out. May God give us outstretched arms to reach out to those in need. May he give us designing hearts to design the Spirit's leading. May he give us humility to give all glory back to God. May God give us the courage to speak about Jesus. May he give us a love for the scriptures and the discipline to study them. And above all, may he give us the love that will hold all these things together. May the Lord richly bless you. He is risen, he is risen indeed.